Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. Hello, hello, everybody. Jen Amos here. Just wanted to give you some quick announcements before we dive into today's conversation with our special guest. So I have been talking about this for the recent weeks. Today and tomorrow are officially the last days to nominate our show for the 16th annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. And so if you want to continue to help us amplify our stories and support our show, go ahead and visit podcastawards.com. When you visit the website, you're going to see a blue button that says nominations voting now open. And what you do from there is select that button and make sure you register and verify with your email address to have your nomination count. So there's a couple of things that you can nominate us for, for the biggest podcast influencer, feel free to vote for myself or Nani or both. Never hurts to try. I don't know if you can, but never hurts to try, like I said. <laughs> and then please vote for the Filipino American Woman Project for the two categories. The first category is Adam Curry's People Choice Award. And the second category is Society and Culture. Also, if you want to support my other podcast show, Holding Down the Fort, go ahead and nominate that show under the category Government and Organizations. From there, there's actually a couple of other shows that you can go ahead and nominate stories with Sapphire. Shout out to Sapphire Sandalo, our spooky expert, and also participated in our Tresse commentary that recently was released in Chismas with Jananani. But go ahead and select her under the Best Asian Podcast Award. <laughs> so there you have it. So a little recap for you. Please select the categories Adam Curry's People's Choice Award and Society and Culture for the Filipino American Woman Project. If you want to support my other show, Holding Down the Fort podcast under Government and Organizations and Stories with Sapphire under the Best Asian Podcast. Make sure you save your nomination and remember, remember to check your inbox and verify your email address to ensure that your vote gets counted. Whether we win or not, that is not important to me. What's important to me is that we show up and we continue to support our community. So for everyone that has taken some time this month to nominate our show, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for showing up for us, for showing up for each other. And we love you and we appreciate you. And we will keep you updated on what the results will be in August. All right. And uh, the second announcement I want to share is I am extremely excited for anyone that is in Nashville, Tennessee, within the first week of August, specifically August 3rd to August 5th. I am very fortunate to be attending the world's largest podcast conference called Podcast Movement and joining the panel, using microphones to shatter the bamboo ceiling, how hearing Asian voices can flip the narrative around being Asian. So I'm really fortunate to be a part of this panel, which will actually take place Wednesday, August 4th, 2021 at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. 
And so if you happen to be in the area, I would love to meet you in person, say hi. But of course, if you are not in the area and you still want to support my panel, go ahead and visit 2021 period podcastmovement.com. And you could actually sign up to join podcast movement online. So once again, if you happen to be in Nashville, Tennessee on August 3rd to August 5th, I'd love to meet you in person. Otherwise, go ahead and register to watch the panel online at 2021 period podcastmovement.com. All right. That's all the updates I have to share for today. Thank you so much for listening and please enjoy today's conversation. Welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. I am your creator and co-host, Jen Amos. And as always, I have my amazing co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hello, everybody. Yes. And just some quick housekeeping before we get started. As a reminder, our academic paper, Panay Podcasters, is available now. You just have to visit PanayPodcasters.com. And not only will you be able to read our academic paper, but even watch a replay of our workshop that we did at the Bulasan Center Conference at UC Davis. So check that out, PanayPodcasters.com. And as you are listening to our conversation, know that you can text us or message us. Our phone number is 415-484-8329. So once again, that's 415-484-8329. 8329. And if you don't feel comfortable texting us, which we totally get, we have emails, jen at tifaproject.com or nani at tifaproject.com. And that's it. I'm going to be easy today, Nani. I'm just going to keep it (laughs) super simple (laughs) and dive into our conversation today. So we are really excited. Every time we have these conversations, I feel like, you know, just when you think we figured out the Panay experience in America, we have another perspective. So today I want to introduce you all to Magdalena Valderrama, who is is a rural resident, a nonprofit development director, and meditation community elder. And I know that Magdalena has a ton of stories to share with us today. So without further ado, Magdalena, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. And thank you, Nani. Yeah. And let's go ahead and start off with, you know, just you sharing with us, how did you hear about the show and what compelled you to join us? (laughs) Well, the name of your show, first of all, is so appropriate because it was COVID time, right? Yeah, And I was listening to a lot of podcasts. So at one point I thought, what if I put in the word Filipino and your show popped up? So kudos to you for the project and for being out there, because I think it's really important to tell our own stories in our own words. You know, part of the colonial mentality is to let the colonialists tell the stories. And also they tend to have more resources Hmm. more access to media and so forth. But now the world has changed and we have our own ways of being able to reach out to other people. And so it's really important that we tell the stories for our children, our grandchildren and other people to know that, you know, Filipinos exist, that we're part of this world and we have a unique perspective to bring that can be useful. Yeah, absolutely. Nani? I was just thinking about kind of the importance of oral history and how it's become so widely available over the last couple of years, specifically because of the pandemic and the way that we're forced to interact and exchange information. And so, yeah, just adding on to what you said and want to lift that up more because, again, the oral history 
piece of it doesn't have to be in like a formal setting like academia or broadcast media or, you know, podcasting is new media and anyone has access to that. So whether you want to start your own show or join us here, like Magdalena has chosen to do today, I think that's a really important aspect for us to just keep harping on is that storytelling to really shape our narrative for the generations that will come after us. And we'll be, you know, turning to these resources to shape their own identities and find their own belonging in the world. And also for others outside of the Filipino American community to learn about us and who we are. Yeah, absolutely. And I just appreciate everything that you shared, Magdalena, and just knowing that what Nani and I are doing, I often like to say it's revolutionary work because you think about how our culture has been silenced. The Filipina Filipino has been silenced for, let's say, centuries. <laughs> and even in media, there is not a lot of Asian representation. Obviously, that is becoming more and more true. Just as with how we recently have the Netflix series. And being able, thank you, Nani. Tresse <laughs> on Netflix. But yeah, just being able to have more of that representation so that we can even be critical of each other. Like I know, Nani, we're going to have an upcoming conversation with Sapphire from Stories with Sapphire, who's all about Filipino folklore. And she has some things to say about Tresse. You know, not everyone is necessarily happy with it. <laughs> and so that is a conversation yeah. we're going to have later in the future. But, you know, being able to have that representation and normalize that representation so that we could really look at it critically and continue to to, you know, further our narrative, I think through our voices and, you know, through our resources and efforts. And so just really happy for us to, you know, be a part of that change. We'd like to thank here at the Tifa Project. Well, it's part of the chain too, really, of Filipino culture, because I don't know if you're aware, I've learned this in high school, and that'll be part of my story too. There is an oral tradition in the Philippines called the Balagtasan. Are you aware of that? No, um, I'm hearing that for the first time. Okay, yeah. so the Balagtasan is a debate form, a poetic debate form, oratorical debate. Oh, wow. And, and usually it's in poetic form. And it's called that uh, name by a Filipino poet. And I'm sorry, I can't remember his full name, but it was Balagtas. And he brought that to the notice of the world by writing about it. And I only know it as a uh, Tagalog or part of the Tagalog language region mm-hmm. in the Philippines. And so I just want you to know that there is an oral, like, it was like Filipino early version of rap, <laughs> in the sense of, you know, it had to rhyme and it had to have all kinds of poetic features to it. And many times it would be in the town square and you'd have this, you'd have this uh, performance. Oh, wow. I love that. That's actually really cool to know. And I think it connects the dots a lot on like music and pop culture mm-hmm. in the Philippines today and why it, you know, I think that we maybe are under the impression a lot of the time that the pop culture or the Filipinos love for hip hop comes from like appropriation or inspiration from the black community and their development of the hip hop movement. But that is actually really helpful to know that, you know, even for centuries, it sounds like that has been a tradition in the Tagalog regions at the least. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And also explains why poetry is also so prevalent in our community today still as well. Yeah. Florante at Laura is, you know, I'm like, oh my God, my Filipino history classes are... Literature classes are actually useful here. Yeah, <laughs> um, please. We'd love you know, all this I, knowledge. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I, and I didn't know anything about that. Okay, so I guess I should sort of start at the beginning, right? Yeah, we're here for it. Uh, uh, 
So my parents met in the United States by completely different paths. My father, you know, after the World War II, came out and he was assigned to different places because he had joined the Department of Foreign Affairs, as it was known at the time. Now it's called the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And he was like, you know, he was an 18-year-old. High school wasn't even high school. That generation lost out on their high school education. And at the end of the war, because all of the school records had been lost, you know, during all the bombing and and all of that, Mm -hmm. they were just declared high school graduates. So they had that certificate to go forward with. So he went on to college and, you know, started going through the ranks, you know, starting from clerical and moving on. And he ended up finding himself uh, at the Philippine embassy in the 1950s. So he's in his 20s, right? Hmm. My mother had hitched a ride with her aunt and her aunt was a doctor, which as you can imagine, you know, a female doctor is, is like a big deal. And the Philippines was one of the first countries really to promote females as, as doctors. Hmm. So she accompanied her aunt and she ended up staying with a family who had connections to the more of the, I would say the elite hmm. and the father in that family died. So they asked her to move on, you know, to, she was now 18 herself. And so she, they ended up finding her a, a job at the Philippine embassy. So now you have these 20 somethings. Mm-hmm. You know, and the place was full of 20-somethings because mm-hmm. the Philippines had been, you know, given their independence by the United States. So you had all these older folks, but then you had all of these younger people showing up. And it was their mission to promote Philippine culture, to promote Filipino goodwill and all that wow. kind of stuff. So they had kids. And I was the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and what I found out was that, you know, they, they taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. And they taught us fairly early that we were Filipinos. You know, they spoke Tagalog in the house. My mother spoke Ilocano, and I didn't know that. (laughs) I only heard them speak Filipino and and English. Mm -hmm. And they told us, you know, that uh, we lived in America and that they were Filipino, that we were all Filipino. Hmm. But at a certain point, they had to leave the U.S., and go back to the Philippines in order to continue with their career. Because you have to spend some time in the home country before you can go on to other assignments. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they brought their five kids to the Philippines. Mm. So I'm the only one in my family, as the eldest, I'm the only one in my family that had a Philippine high school education. Wow. My other sisters and brother, the one, one sister had some Philippine high school but all of them really had their education outside the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So, how many siblings do you have? Four. Okay. Four. With four girls and one boy. Nice. And each one of us has a very different experience of what it has meant to be a Filipino living in a different country and at a different time. Mm. And that's what's and we are we all actually practice different religions we're not all catholic just to kind of give you the gamut my brother is baptized some kind of baptist i'm sorry i don't remember which. <laughs> that's okay um, all the way to i have a sister who is a practicing jew hmm. a cloistered benedictine nun so it's a very strict or not it's a very enclosed cloistered situation and there's me 
I practice Adidam, A-D-I-D-A-M. And we all identify ourselves as Filipino. So, you know, that was kind of the start. And we always knew that we were American as well. (laughs) Because my parents were very careful to tell us that, look, you know, you've been born here in the U.S., so you also have a chance at American citizenship. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to that and I would think, okay, so I'm not an American citizen. I am an American, but maybe I'm not an American citizen, hmm. you know, because I, I was trying to figure that out in my young head. And I'd hear about all these immigrants. My father was always helping immigrants and he even helped his brother come over and help him through that experience. But I, I thought, well, I'm not an immigrant. I was born here. So, you know, it was just an experience that I couldn't quite wrap your head around. Relate to, yeah. 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 I was under the impression that if you were born here, you were U.S. citizen. Is that not the case? Well, yeah, but see, we were diplomatic family. Mm-hmm. Oh, so okay. That, I see. Yeah. So, and you have to make your declaration. Oh, so they you make you choose, to, basically? You have to choose. Wow. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, you know, I didn't know how that was going to happen. I was like, well, who do I tell and how does this happen? So I think by the time I turned 18, you know, because I, whatever the age of, you know, being independent is, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to have to talk to anybody or go through an interview. Or <laughs> 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 um, oh, so by this time, we moved from the Philippines to New York. Because now my parents, both of them, and this is also unusual, they were both assigned to the Philippine mission to the United Nations. Mm. So usually a husband and wife are not sent to the same station. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it just worked out. So now here we are in New York. And I don't know if you're, well, now you guys are aware, but it is a big deal to move from one part of the U.S. to another it's just like, it's different countries. Yeah. yeah. Being in the East Coast for three years now and having lived in California for 20. Yeah. It's a big difference, y'all. We switched. <laughs> we switched. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, you're in California. And yes, I believe you. <laughs> and I can say firsthand <laughs> how different it is out here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, going to the Philippines was culture shock. And, you know, culture shock, isn't just words, there's an actual physical Mm. condition you enter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, complete with headaches, you know, fatigue, just all these very stress-related symptoms symptoms that you don't realize are actually part of the stress that you're under trying to make sense of the world around you. Mm -hmm. So going to the Philippines was one culture shock. And, you know, we're like, how could that be? Because, you know, we're Filipinos, right? <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to feel at home here. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so here we are in New York, and I go through another shock because it's not Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, and we were like, we were in such difficulty growing up. Yes, we loved our cousins and the whole thing. We loved the food. and but But coming to New York was like, wait, wait, you know, we really wanted to come back to the United States, but but this is not what we remember. Mm-hmm. And now you're older, so people are looking at you like, okay, get with it. You're, you know, right. they're not looking at a little kid anymore. Yeah, you have to participate in society now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I ended up going to evening school because 
I came in the middle of the school year. That's just the way all mm. of our trips worked out, you know, with all of the, the things that they had to work out at the foreign affairs office and stuff like that. It was just the timing. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm surrounded by Puerto Ricans, <laughs> you know, Dominicans, Jewish people, Irish, you know, the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's New York, right? And as a person and as a Filipino, really, I'm a natural mimic, mm-hmm. right? We're really good. We have a very strong adaptation. So one of the symbols, if you will, of being Filipino is being like the bamboo. Mm-hmm. You've ever heard of that? Where the bamboo is, you know, it, it bends with the wind. It's so creaky. You can hear all the creaking and, you know, it's noisy and... But it's so flexible that it doesn't crack. It doesn't, you know, get broken. So here I am, and I just start picking up the accents around me. Mm. I remember one girl turned around. I was standing in a line, and people were talking. And then she started started noticing that there's this person next to her speaking like her. And she looks at me. She goes, hey, are you mocking me? And I'm like, what? (laughs) What? No, no. I'm, you know, I was like, I was. I'm just trying to fit in. I I, I don't yeah. you know trying to figure out where I belong here, mm. and I couldn't say that to her right because I didn't I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, but I learned. You know, I learned, and you learn these things such as you keep going. Yeah. Wow. I'm curious to know Magdalena from your experience because you know clearly you have a very unique experience. You know, kind of coming here with diplomatic parents, and actually I also like how you describe culture shock. That it's not just words. It's not just emotional. It's a physical experience. Mm -hmm. And I think for myself, I just got off the phone with a friend back in California. And like he was saying to me like, oh, you know, I kind of like didn't talk to you for a while because I could tell that I think you were depressed and I just didn't want to bother you. And I was like, and, and, you know, this is already like years later of me being out here. And I'm just like, yeah, you're right. I was depressed. You know, I was like in bed. I couldn't like, I was sad. I was like, there's all these physical Mm -hmm experiences that came out and like, I was exhausted, you know, I'm just exhausted of being in a new place. And so I really like how you described culture shock. Cause I, I don't think I ever heard anyone explain it in that manner. And so I just wanted to make an observation on that. So my question for you is when did you start to realize that? Because I know that we all have like different experiences or kind of similar, but how did you know that your situation with your family and your siblings was uniquely different for the Filipino American experience? So I'm in college. And I was going to go for a pre-med. Okay. So typically Filipino, right? You go (laughs) for the professions. Right. And so for this particular college, you had to take, it was a general course at the beginning, and then you could take your specialties and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, well, this one looks really interesting. It was called this course. It's the psychology of communication. So I go and, and the teacher, you know, fascinating course. It's all about how people actually communicate, you know, some of the theory behind it and, and also the psychology that goes along with it. And she was always using examples from other cultures. Hmm. Like she would talk about Colombian, well, you know, if this theory, if such and such communication theory were true, then how do you explain when, you know, Colombians do something like that, you know, whatever it was, or, or the Scottish people, and I'm sorry, I can't remember, they was so long ago. <laughs> but I got up my courage to ask her a question mm-hmm. about that. And I asked her and she told me that she herself, she was white. She told me that her mother was Scottish and in their culture, they keep their mother's name as their own name. Mm-hmm. That her father was Russian 
And the only language they had in common was German. Mm. Wow. So when she grew up, she learned German and she didn't learn how to speak. This was in the United States. Right. She didn't learn how to speak English until they sent her to school. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So now we have this very personal background. Background. And she starts explaining to me things like she goes, she starts explaining to me my Filipino culture. Wow. And I was like, because <laughs> she's met as a teacher, as a college professor, she's met many Filipinos. I mean, mm-hmm. it's New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then she starts telling me about intercultural communication, intercultural education. There's a whole society for intercultural education, training and research, CTAR. And all of a sudden, you know, I was like in this new place. And she introduced me to a white male Episcopalian businessman's son who grew up in Indonesia, heavy beard, you know, red hair. And he grew up identifying with Indonesians Mm. who were Muslim, not Episcopalian. Right. And so all of a sudden, here I am in this very intimate room, Mm -hmm. space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we are talking about this thing of what it is to be not what you look like, and yet what you look like is so important to who you are as well. Yeah. And so that opened doors because then she started showing me where, you know, where to look for Filipino history from a completely different, you know, the Filipino history in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that was very helpful. And then after I got married and I spent time, I went back again to Washington, D.C., I met and I was working, I was in my 30s already and I was working and I met an American Samoan woman. And, you know, of course, we started talking because we're brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she goes, oh, he goes, she's, you know, Filipinos, you know, they're really famous. We all know that they were the ones who actually started the whole farm workers movement. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. Cesar Chavez. And I said, what? You know, so that was my introduction. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. I don't really, of course, I knew about Cesar Chavez and everything, but here's this American Samoan woman. Telling me about my Filipino American history. Yeah. Yeah. Another door opens, you know, so I, I've i been building my narrative. I've been because because every time there's a little window open, you know, you're like, oh, the story is bigger. Yeah. Let's follow that. Yeah. And for her to say that they recognize the Filipinos for that was so empowering, I have to yeah. say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then later, you know, in the last five years, one of my cousins, well, she actually immigrated to the United States and she lives in Los Angeles. And I'm, I'm hoping that she'll be open to being interviewed as well. She started the movement to eradicate rape and other childhood abuses. Mm. Wow. She started it in, in Saudi or, or someplace in the Middle East. And now she's carried it to Los Angeles. Her name is Perla Vega Reyes. So she sent me a message one day and she sent it to all the cousins that she was celebrating the uh, history of one of those early organizers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't remember his name because I'm, you know, I'm still studying all of this stuff. But one of those early people who Cesar Chavez had learned from. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, th- I, you know, I told her, this is really important that you're celebrating this guy. Mm-hmm. People need to know these stories. <laughs> I was just thinking that the way that I kind of visualize the way you've been describing your story and the way that you've been building your narrative, as you put it, 
is kind of like just following the breadcrumbs, you know, Mm -hmm. you're on this path and you don't really know why you're, you've ended up in this place at this time, but here you are. And just like, I want to also harp on the description that you gave of culture shock and kind of the somatic symptoms and effects that it has on your body, because that's also a very real thing, whether you're, you know, a, a U.S. born Filipino that visits the Philippines and is completely just like outside yourself, you know, with the experience that hits you when you get there, or whether you're a U.S. born Filipino who moves across the country and experiences the same thing. And I love that you've been able to learn so much about yourself through other people who are not even Filipino. Being in New York, I think that that's one really special thing about both New York and California is the diversity and for you to find the value in that kind of not only in the environments that you're in, but also it sounds like in your own family, amongst your own siblings who you grew up with. You know, you guys all sound very different. I don't know where you've ended up today and what your relationship with your sisters and your brother is like now. But yeah, it sounds like you're very close and you've still remained this tight knit circle, even though you have all these different perspectives in the forms of like, your upbringing, your experience when you guys were coming up as kids, and then also your chosen religions and things like that. So I think that that's one thing that really unites us, not only as Filipino Americans, but hyphenated Americans in general, is that common denominator of the culture shock, you know, and the ability to relate on that note. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you mentioned that earlier. Another characteristic of the Filipino people is that, that kind of inclusion because of the way that the Philippines originally is, you know, the, the original geographic location, mm-hmm. it was not called the gateway to the Orient for no reason, or Pearl of the Orient. And yeah. Gateway. Yeah. And so, you know, from time immemorial, there have been mixings of races and cultures and so forth. And I have seen racism in the Philippines. It, it's just as ugly there as it is here. Right. But part of that also is a art, an artifact of colonialism. Yes. And I think that if we are in a time in the world where now you, it's not just a matter of traveling physically to get someplace, but we are all linked, you know, via the internet and so forth. And, and so that we can sample each other's cultures, see how, not for the purpose of appropriation, but to see right. what the human experience is that there are so many ways to live in this world successfully, you know, fully with love and honor. And they're all equally human, you know, for, for, for mm-hmm. lack of going further than that. I think that's so poetic. <laughs> it was very poetic. I, I was feel like, like that will be I, the I title of this show. <laughs> they're I was all, like, wow. you know, I, I love how you put that, you know, we're sampling each other's experiences and none is more or less humanizing than the other you know it's just us getting to kind of take a peek if you will or put your put your feet in someone else's shoes for a second and see what it's like so I think that today's cultural landscape is a little bit you know hypersensitive of like appropriation and things like that which are things that we need to be you know acknowledging as real yes and watching out for but at the same time there's so much to appreciate you know, that comes with the intent maybe that that is behind some of that. So yeah, I appreciate you wording it that way. 
And, you know, I, I, you're reminding me, Nani, I wish I had begun by acknowledging this land that where I live now. It's a new practice that I'm trying to develop. Mm-hmm. And so I'm speaking to you from Lake County, California, which has been the traditional lands of the Pomo, Lake Miwok, Patwin, Wapo, and a couple of other indigenous nations. And they have stewarded this land for tens of thousands of years, continue to do the best that they can under the current circumstances. And I'm looking forward to learning more from them as time goes on and as I engage the work that I'm doing here with fire mitigation, uh, wildfire mitigation. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. Better late than never. Uh, First of all, I think that a lot of us are still kind of getting used to that practice or have recently been introduced to that practice and what the significance of it is. Speaking to you from Ohlone territory here in the Bay as well. So thank you again for that. And I think that's also a great segue into our next question, since we covered a lot of your background and what brought you to Lake County and the work that you're doing with the wildfire organization that you co-founded. Is that correct Mm -hmm. today? Yeah. Well, it's called the Siegler Springs Community Redevelopment Association, and it's actually a community building organization. Nice. Just to share that premise is that whatever the topic on people's minds is, that's where you really start to build community. Mm. We don't subscribe to the notion that we know what the community needs. Mm-hmm. We let it come from within the community. That's beautiful. I just want to interject for a quick minute because that's really what we do with the Tifa project. It's like we build based on the feedback we receive from the community. So I just, I love that philosophy and what you're doing with your organization, but continue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so we're working on affordable housing as well as wildfire mitigation. Hmm. And so I've gotten to become part of a much larger network that I had no idea was there. The Fire Adapted Communities Learning Network, the Firewise USA program and so forth. So there's there's plenty to, to share with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what and, um, brought you into that work? I mean, I was just I was just skimming through your Google form responses and noticed that you actually had a personal experience with the wildfires here in California. So is that how you kind of got into this work or did that happen after you got involved with this or co-founding this organization? Well, we actually co-founded the organization as a direct result of going through a wildfire. Okay. We actually moved here. My husband and I married here in California, even though he's originally from New York, Mm -hmm. because of a meditation sanctuary here called the Mountain of Attention. Mm. Oh, wow. And it's, you know, it was founded in 1974. And, you know, there are other sanctuaries in other parts of the world. One of them is in Fiji. Just a shout out to, you know, the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. (laughs) And when the first Valley Fire, because there's two Valley Fires named that in California. And the first one was in 2015, which was the one that burned our entire neighborhood Mm -hmm. and a number of other neighborhoods. And we're in a rural county. And it tends to be one of the, in terms of socioeconomic indicators, it tends to fall in the bottom four of the 58 counties in California. Wow. So we didn't know what nonprofits were here. So we, we just tried to act very quickly. Mm. And start so, your own. Yeah. Yeah. And then it moved from, you know, 
helping with the relief and the recovery aspects while you know we lost our home. We haven't rebuilt yet. We're still in the process of developing a cooperative affordable housing project. And so I guess that kind of makes me unique. Again, I hope it's in the spirit of Cesar uh, that we're not using conventional business approaches. We're still trying to tap that bayanihan, if you will, hopefully, mm-hmm. to build the community from, again, from within. I'm so sorry about your losing your home. Thank you. I, I go in and out of remembering things. And course, I'm actually yeah. in the middle of writing a, a blog contribution for the Fire Adapted Communities Learning Network newsletter sort of summarizing, okay, what have we learned in the past five years and where are we going? What what, mm. what has this been like? Because, yeah. you know, this is a milestone. Absolutely. And the wildfire problem doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon, at least here in California. <laughs> so yeah, love the work that you're doing and, and thank you for dedicating yourself to that because that's an area that's kind of like urgently needed right now. Yeah, and I'm meeting amazing people. Yeah. No idea that all these amazing, wonderful people to work with are out there. You know, even learning about land acknowledgement, that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it's it's like rounding out my experience of what I set out to be as a person. Yeah. Along with meditation and and so on. I thought I might go back to, uh, since we're talking about acknowledgement, I might go back to your mentioning, Nani, the hip hop culture, Afro-American culture altogether. Uh-huh. Because, again, going back to my early experience, I didn't know that I was growing up in the middle of a second wave of migration of African-Americans from the South to the mm-hmm. North. I was just aware that, you know, my neighbor over here were, you know, they, they were, had red, red and brown hair, freckles. And then my neighbor over here was African-American. We called them Negroes at the, in, in that time. And then over here was, you know, most of them were either African-Americans or this white group. And, and this one white family, is, we got along fine. And then within two years, I'd say they, they moved out. But I was going to school in the Northwest. So we lived in the Northeast, went to school in the Northwest. And my mother put us in Catholic school so that we could get our Catholic education. Mm-hmm. And I remember, just to give you a sense of where this is in history. So, you know, here's this diaspora going on, migration going on. Yeah. And I'm this little kid. And, you know, we hear about all the terrible things that are happening, you know, all the assassinations. And we're late for church. We had to actually attend the church associated with our school. So we're rushing off. We're late to church. The place is packed. We're like, oh, you know, who knows what else is going on here? Because Every now and then this church gets all packed and then we all have to go into this tiny part of the church to, you know, just be the little school together. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking around. I kind of look over this way and I'm just in line with the front pew because they put us into this corner of the corner of the church. I'm looking over and my goodness, it's Jacqueline Kennedy and Robert and their kids. Wow. We were the, the Sunday mass for that day was the funeral mass for John mm. Kennedy. Oh my gosh. You know? Wow. My hairs are rising, right? This was the time that I grew up in. Yeah. You know, and I didn't know that I'd be part of that history. Of course. And again, it wasn't until college when my professor, my dear professor Ramsey, opened my eyes to 
this wider world of people actually wanting to study how different peoples, you know, meet up with each other and learn from each other and help each other, that I started to really learn about African-American history as well. And their experience is American history. There wouldn't be the Civil War. There wouldn't be the whole thing about civil rights without them. Mm -hmm. And they help define what it is to be an American in a way that is not defining any other country. Mm -hmm. There are similar experiences happening in the Netherlands now. They're only now beginning to talk about the racism that they have there. And there's there's a special brand. Yeah. And you can't help but think that that's inspired by what's happened over here, uh, which was initiated by the African-American community. I think it's very important to acknowledge with you know what we said about land acknowledgements and everything that this entire country has been built on stolen people <laughs> from yeah. stolen land. So yeah. yeah, that's very important. So thank you for highlighting that. Now I'm involved in a group of people of color who are you know was started by some fellow devotees here in, in Aridam who invited me because of some, some previous experience we've had together to sort of be one of the steering committee members. Mm-hmm. And there's not many Filipinos here, but it is interesting to me that they felt that I could contribute, even though our group is small and I'm the only member of the steering committee that isn't that doesn't have a African American blood background. Mm-hmm. I feel very honored and privileged to be part of that conversation, and uh, just hoping that we can all discover each other's humanity. Yeah, I'm just taking everything you're saying in. <laughs> Just, you know, hearing your stories and your experiences. And we talked about this a little bit offline before we started, but, you know, a lot of our perspectives on the show have been millennials, mainly because that's just how we, it's not that it was our intention. It just kind of happened organically through, you know, marketing through Instagram and stuff like that. But just like with you having been able to do that search in your podcast platform to search Filipino, it always astounds me. This is why I always like to ask people you know, how did you hear about the podcast? What compelled you to be on? Because I feel like it constantly changes in a way. Like Nani, we don't really hear much of people just finding us on Instagram anymore. We do hear a lot of people just searching for Filipino American, for example, in their podcast platform, and then we pop up. So it's just so beautiful how such a name as the Filipino American Woman Project can bring so many different people with that common thread of being, having, you know, Filipino ancestry in us. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you like, I'll, I'll send you an article called Viva la Difference mm-hmm. uh, that was a, it's kind of a transcript, but but also a, a, an explanation of what what our preceptor tried to teach us about mm-hmm. being one humanity. And, you know, I don't think it's printed online anywhere, but I can give you the uh, PDF. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you want to like email that over to us and we could even make that accessible in the show notes later for our listeners if they want to, you know, take a read themselves. Another thing I wanted to bring up in our conversation, Magdalena, is your conversations that you have with, let's say, your non-white friends in regards to marrying outside of your race over the years. And I wanted to get your take on that because Nani and I are both in interracial marriages or she's about to be. (laughs) And I think that's always a very interesting conversation to have. So I I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm laughing because I have one funny story about that. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) I was introduced introduced to yoga in the Philippines Mm. through a high school teacher. And I became very active in Ananda Marga, 
And so one day I went to my mother. I'd already started dating. By this time, we were living in New York, and I continued my, my association with, with Ananda Marga. So I said to my mom, you know, I was thinking that uh, it would be good to have an arranged marriage because, you know, I kind of had imbibed some of the benefits mm. that I could see from arranged marriages. She goes, oh, she goes, sure, you choose the guy and I'll arrange it. <laughs> You're like, that's not what I had in mind. <laughs> kind of the opposite. <laughs> Well, it was so great. <laughs> I love that response. <laughs> you know, and I asked them, you know, do you ever wish that we would marry Filipinos? And my parents were not fixed in that way. Hmm. They wanted to retire to the Philippines. That's the way they always led their lives, you know, and they did. They retired there, but they didn't push me in that way. Mm-hmm. And when the, the people who became my in-laws found out that we were going to, you know, that we were talking about getting married, they came from the Jewish tradition. They mm-hmm. were not practicing Jews themselves, but they identified with the culture. Mm-hmm. And the question they put to me was, well, you know, really the only reason to get married is if you have children and, you know, and we're, you know, we have come from the Jewish tradition and, you know, look what happened with Hitler and all this and all that, you know, because they came out of World War II. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that to your children? Mm. Why don't you just live together? You know, and that is shocking in that age because people didn't live together then. That was still right. very too radical. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how they felt about it. Many, many, many decades later, when my own sister converted to Judaism, she told me that the culture is that you hold on to your Jewishness as long as you can. And if there is intermarriage, you absorb them as your family. And I have to say, that's exactly what my in-laws did. They were the first ones to tell me, I love you. Mm. You know, once we were married, it was a done deal. And, you know, when's the grandchildren coming? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's always the thing. It's like, okay, kids now. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my own son has been going through, I noticed you, you know, you had the Filipino men kind of uh, episode there. My own son is going through a process. He always identified himself as white because he could see that, you know, he could pass. Mm. And then in the last few years, since we've been talking about, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all those folks, he mentioned to me that he no longer, he identifies himself as mixed. And we've had conversations about, you know, how did that come to be for you? Myself was moved to apologize for all the failures on my part to serve his racial, uh, his his experience of of race as a part of our society. And I'm very proud to say that he's been finding his own way and helping me also. So we've been doing a lot of sharing. Wow. And, you know, there are entire countries that are built on the mixing of races and developing new cultures. So there's many things to keep, and I don't think that they'll get lost, put it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that identity is just an ever-evolving subject for everybody. And I love that it's become such a theme of the social awakening that's happened over the last year and a half. And yeah. every all the conversations that it's brought up, yeah. not just you know widely in the news or on social media, but in our own homes. And I think it's really special that you and your son are able to have those conversations with each other and learn from each other in that way and communicate about how you have both affected, you know, the way that you both identify as individuals and as a family, as a mixed race family. I started Um, laughing when you were speaking because 
he's doing exactly the same thing I did when I was little. Mm-hmm. He's saying, why are they always say, you know, you and people are always trying to own it. The Filipinos are always trying to own it. Like that's Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> My dad did that when we were growing up. I'm like, don't tell me that anymore. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Have yeah. Yeah. You have to recognize the patterns and call them out and talk about yeah. them. Otherwise they just continue, you know, and nobody knows why nobody has the context behind them. And I think that that is the powerful part and also the easiest part of breaking those generational, you know, traumatic cycles or patterns that we just continue to pass down and are not really aware of how they affect us. And so again, I love that you guys are able to have those conversations and speaking as a biracial individual myself, that is something that is always and always has been kind of top of mind for me in any environment that I've been put into And I appreciate, you know, others now outside of my own circle, becoming also hyper aware of it and wanting to learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much to learn. Yeah. And the beauty is we are going to be who we are for the rest of our lives. So we have plenty of time to figure it out. And I like how you said earlier, Magdalena, that you kind of are constantly evolving even your own narrative or being able to articulate it, you know, as you gain new information about yourself. And it's exciting. I think that's what makes life interesting, right? Is that we are multi-layered. We There's so much of our history that we still have to uncover and so many other cultures that we need to understand, especially if we're, you know, around, I mean, a mixed environment, which is pretty much America itself. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful experience. And I really, I feel like I haven't been as talkative in this conversation as I typically am in in our shows, because I've just been taking everything that you've been sharing. So I just want to, you know, thank you for that. I want to go ahead and eventually transition to the life lesson here in a little bit, but I want to make sure we've covered all our bases. Is there anything else you want to share about just the overall Filipino American experience for you, or even just the work that you're doing today? Wow. It's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. I just want to make sure that we yeah. cover everything. It's important. You know, we love to be very thorough, especially, you know, because, you know, it's a safe space to share your narrative and share your perspective and experiences. So th- yeah. I thought I would ask. <laughs> no, I would also wish for Filipino Americans to be able to embrace the different ways there are to be Filipino because our colonial heritage forced Filipinos to fight each other. Mm -hmm. So if you were Visayan, you know, you were brought in to fight the Tagalogs or whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever all of that is. And, you know, we do have a vibrant Muslim heritage as well. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I do find it disturbing myself personally when, you know, it's either the Catholic or the Christian gets sort of promoted as like, that's the only way to be Filipino kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I have cousins that, you know, first tier cousins that live in Davao and the Visayas and, you know, everywhere. So, you know, I know that they're learning how to absorb all of that. And the Filipino experience is, you know, it's like being an American. You could be an American from the South or from the or from California or from the Midwest, and you're going to be a different Filipino American. You could be a Visayan Michigander, you know, and it's going to be different from a uh, Mindanaoan uh, Muslim, somebody in Florida. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no, I think so that's an important point to know. And it just makes me think of piggybacking on kind of what you said about your son and how he's changed the way he declares his identity. I was just filling out some forms the other day. And normally, you know, when it asks about your race, I'll have to put 
I checked the two or more races box. And for this last couple of forms that I was filling out the other day, I was like, you know what? I realize now like the purpose of this question. And it's basically asking me like, who is my story representing? Who is this documentation representing? And Mm -hmm. for me in this moment, and it's a privilege to do so. So I also acknowledge that, but it's important for me to identify as Filipino. And so I didn't check two or more races. I just checked the Asian one because that's, what's important to me now. And I'm allowed to do that, you know, just like your son is allowed to identify the way that he sees fit. And the more he learns, the more context he has to make a more informed decision on how he answers that question. So again, kudos to him and kudos to you to also for fostering that conversation with him. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, really at the end of our conversation, we always like to wrap up with sharing a life lesson and I'm not going to give it all away. I'll just read a little snippet of what you shared, Magdalena, which is, you know, belonging to a community or a place is meant for some people. My feeling of belonging is based on wherever I am now with myself. And I had learned to let go of what other people think of me and whether I belong or not. And this is the last line I'll say, my own existence is sufficient justification for being. Please elaborate on that. I love kind of that just inner peace, I think, or like that satisfaction of yourself and being satisfied with yourself and and where you're at. And feel free to elaborate on that. And maybe even a little story of what led you to this realization. Just hearing you read that out loud, Jen, is giving me a little bit of a choke. Yeah. Mm. Should I read the rest for you? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> I got you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So I'll read the rest of what you said so you can collect yourself. So My own existence is sufficient justification for being the confrontations from learning my cultural history and that of other groups and my choice of esoteric spiritual tradition have pushed me to keep accepting myself as I am now and then now and now, and it's become a lifelong exercise. Uh, Just, I'm just going to take a minute (laughs) and and whenever you're ready to respond to that. Yeah, I think that it has been a privilege to be born a Filipino because it has pushed me to reach out to be human. Mm. I think that I can speak as a person of minority. And then because of my social class, I can also speak as a person of privilege. And I think that the spiritual dimension is vaster than anyone has even imagined. That it doesn't, in the very fundamental sense, all of these things that we see are superficial. All of it. And, you know, I do credit my preceptor for that because it has not been book learning or intellectual thinking. Mm-hmm. I've been guided through confrontation after confrontation mm. with myself, my heart, and being open to the lessons that life wants to give me. There is so much blessing out there. And it is a special thing to be able to recognize even the difficult things. They're not what you think they are. There's so much more. We are much more than what we look like. And as we contemplate that mystery of existence, that's what helps us remember where happiness comes from at its root, at its very root. We can say all kinds of things about it. We can make all kinds of descriptions. And when it really comes down to it and you don't know, and then if you stop to feel that deep ignorance in the most positive sense of that word of not knowing then the enormity of the world that we've been gifted with can come in and guide you 
it's a prior unity as as phrase that he uses. And yeah, we can do it. Wow. Just everything came out of your mouth, which is so poetic. I was like, <laughs> I can't wait to listen to this again because I feel like it's a lot to process. <laughs> no, thank, thank you, for- you for sharing that. And you left us with so many good quotes, I feel like for today and everything that you shared from your family background experience and upbringing experience, I mean, to what you do now, you know, your relationship with your son and also kind of the whole, it's about the journey life lesson that you want to share with us. I think that that is pivotally important for anyone at any point in their journey is to like, stop, remember to stop and smell the flowers, you know, and appreciate the lessons that come with the wounds you know, every time you're confronted with one of those inner conflicts or outer conflicts in your life, because that's just a part of the journey. And it's, it's something to appreciate. Not everything is going to be, you know, manifesting for you at any given time. You have to be intentional about your experience and learn how to guide it in a way. So I think that that's some really powerful information to leave us with today for your life lesson. And thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for letting me speak. And, you know, I just need to acknowledge Avatar Adidasam Raj out loud for his wisdom and blessing. Wonderful. Just that's it. I don't have any other things. What Nani said, <laughs> I piggyback off of what Nani, I second everything that Nani had shared. Wow. What a great way to start the weekend. I feel like it's just this conversation, but Magdalena, let us know how they can find you, whether it's your website, your social media, uh, go ahead and share that now. And of course we'll provide that in the show notes. Sure. Thank you. So our website is sscra.org. That stands for Siegler Springs Community Redevelopment Association. And it desperately needs updating, but you can see the kind of work that we do there. We're also on Facebook at Siegler Springs Lake County. And that's spelled S-E-I-G-L-E-R-S-P-R-I-N-G-S-L-A-K-E-C-O-U-N-T-Y. And for those of you of German extraction, I know it's supposed to be pronounced Ziegler, but <laughs> out here, this is the way they pronounce it. So I've got to go with that. <laughs> So it's the and, way it is, yes. Yeah. And you can find me on LinkedIn as Magdalena Hurwitz, H-U-R-W-I-T-Z. That's my married name. Awesome. Magdalena, it's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much again for joining us and adding a beautifully wonderful, unique perspective at the TIFA project. We appreciate you and can't thank you enough. So yeah, thank you again. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Congratulations, Jen and Nani for this wonderful project and and good luck with baby. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. We hope to visit with you again soon. So we'll definitely be, or I will definitely be taking a little hiatus. (laughs) I don't know what to expect in terms of how long I'll need to be out of commission for, but yeah, we will definitely want to reconnect after that. So thank you again for joining us today. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes. And again, to our listeners, you know that if you want to engage with us, we have a phone number 415-484-8329. It's your opportunity to shoot us a text message. Or if you want to entertain Jen, because like no one's done this yet, leave a voice message. That would be great. (laughs) Of course, you can also email us at jen at tifaproject.com or nani at tifaproject.com. Tifa Project spelled T-F-A-W as in the Filipino American Woman Project.com. All right, that's it. We're done. We love you all. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time.